Bibles tonight, if you would, the book of Jonah, small little uh, uh, minor prophet book near the end of the Old Testament. Again, the book of Jonah. You know, on the last Wednesday nights, I think we're a number eight now, uh, we have been looking at this book of Jonah, and we have made our way to Jonah chapter number three. Jonah chapter number three. While you're turning that, if you remember back in chapter one, God called a prophet. He already had been an established prophet up there in the northern part of Galilee. And I'm not on. I'm sorry. How's that? Test, test, test. We're good? We're good. He was already an established prophet in the north. God called him to go to Nineveh. I've said this before. I've said this before, that from Galilee, Nineveh was northeast. But he did not want to go there. And so instead of going northeast, he went down to the harbor at Joppa. He found the first ship that left to go west again. He was running from God. And it's really a picture of sometimes Christians don't want to do what God wants, so they run the other way. We know that Jonah is the story of, an unbe- or a, story of a believer who is disobedient to God. We know uh, he's a story of how life can get very difficult when you don't obey God. We know it's inside look into the heart of a servant of God who ministers to people, but he doesn't love those people. And we also know it's an Old Testament account of foreign missions. Again, God called him to go to Nineveh. Look back there in Jonah chapter 1, if you would. Jonah chapter 1 and verse number 2. Uh, God said to him, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. Uh, Verse number three, But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish. So he's running from God. All the rest of chapter one is how God gets his attention. All of chapter two is how God turns his heart back to God. And when we get to Jonah three, look there if you would, verse number one. The Bible says, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. That chapter 3 and verse 2 is almost identical to chapter 1 and verse 2. But between those two verses, uh, there are 27 verses. Now, I'm going to say this a few times tonight. Really, the 27 verses between chapter 1 and verse 3 and chapter 3 and verse 3 are all wasted time. And you know, isn't it true that sometimes you and I struggle with doing what God wants us to do? Be it a big thing, be it a little thing. And from that point, it's all wasted time until we get back to doing what God's told us to do. Again, when we get there into chapter number 3, Jonah finally does what God says. Look there in Jonah 3 and verse 3. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. And Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. Pastor, what does that mean? It's hard to explain that, and I'm going to take a guess. I trust it's an educated guess, but it says it's a city of three days' journey. It was huge. If I understand the right, it would take three days to walk your way through this city. It was the capital of Assyria. 
So Jonah went one day's worth walking. It would have taken three days to get all the way through. He traveled just one day through, and he started to preach. Look again at verse number four. And Jonah began to enter the city a day's journey. And he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Look at the result of that preaching, verse five. So the people of Nineveh believed God, and proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them, even to the least of them. I said this last week, I think that that is the greatest movement of God. We would call that a revival. Some would say, well, no, they weren't saved in the first place. Okay, then we could call it a great awakening Whatever you call it, that was the greatest response of people to preaching that we know of in the entire Bible. Some have guessed that the population of Nineveh had to be greater than 500,000. Some have guessed that it could have been greater than a million. Well, Pastor, do we have any scripture for that? Yes, the very last verse of Jonah. Look there at Jonah 4 and verse 11. God is trying to reason with Jonah. God says, Jonah 4.11, And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand, that's 120,000, persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand. So this city is so large that there are 120,000 people that can't even tell the difference between their right and their left. Could have been blondes, could have been little children. This is a huge city. And it would seem from chapter 3 and verse 5 that from the king all the way down to the lowest of people, they listened and they heeded. I'm saying it's the greatest Bible example of a revival and when we read something like that, we can't help but ask ourselves, why doesn't that happen more often? Why aren't we seeing revival like was seen here, like was seen on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2? And my message tonight from Jonah chapter 3 is to give you four things that happened before this great revival. So if you're taking notes tonight, my title is two words, before revival. Before revival. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, again, we thank you for each one that's here. Lord, we're honored that this missionary lady is with us. We do pray that you would direct her steps, help us as a church to know what part of her ministry that we could have Help her as she journeys down the road to make people aware of how you are directing in her life. But Lord, as we continue to look at this book of Jonah, and we read of this great response of people to the preaching of the Word of God, we can't help but say, God, why don't we see that more often? And Father, I pray that from these verses in Jonah 3, that you would help us to notice what happened this day that brought such a great response from people. Help us, Lord, we pray for national revival, but it can't happen without these four things. 
we pray for a church-wide revival. But that can't happen without these four things. And we pray for individual revival. But Lord, again, that can't happen without these four things. Help us tonight. Help these simple truths to make a difference in each of our lives, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, my title tonight is Before Revival. Uh, look at the first thing there, if you would, at Jonah chapter 3 and verse 2. And it says, Arise, go to Nineveh. God's speaking this to Jonah. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. Then look at verse 3. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh. Now, the first thing, if you're writing notes down before there can be any revival, first there must be a servant surrendered. There has to be a servant surrendered. He wasn't surrendered in chapter 1. God called him to do this very same thing in chapter 1, but he wouldn't do it. So we would have to say that as much as Jonah might have been a servant in chapter 1, he wasn't a servant surrendered. And it's always going to take a, a servant that surrenders whether God says go or whether God says stay or whether God says launch out. Again, we already know that Jonah was called to do this in chapter 1, but he wouldn't. And so first I say there will be no movement of God until there is a servant surrendered. Uh, keep your hand there in Jonah. Look, if you would, in Romans chapter number 10. Romans uh, chapter number 10. It's exactly what Paul said here, and many times when we're trying to witness to those not yet saved, we take them to Romans 10, verse 9 and 10. Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it's, uh, Paul writes this, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So to be saved, it takes a understanding from the heart, and it takes a confession, we would simply say an asking, from the mouth. And so it takes two, verse number 10. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Uh, verse 12, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. And we're familiar with verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So often when we talk to someone not saved, we give them the gospel that they're a sinner before a holy God because of sin, they deserve the judgment of hell. Jesus loved them enough to die for them. And if they will recognize that they're a sinner before a holy God, that if they will simply call upon the name of the Lord, they'll be saved. That's verse 13. But look at the next verse, verse 14. How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Now, back to Jonah 3. We know that the formula for somebody to get saved, the same formula that we followed when we got saved, it required us to believe, but we wouldn't believe if we hadn't heard and we couldn't hear unless somebody told it to us. I think if we took time, we won't, but every one of us could give the testimony about the day we got saved. And someone took the time to tell us. Someone was a surrendered servant 
be it a preacher, be it a Sunday school teacher, be it a soul winner at a door, somebody said, I will do what God wants me to do. Pastor, why isn't there more revival? Maybe we're missing a surrendered servant. Pastor, why aren't there more people to get saved? Maybe we're missing surrendered servants. Maybe we're missing Christians. Yes, they know the gospel, but they're not willing to take the gospel to people that need it. Again, we're looking at uh, before revival. The very first thing is a servant surrendered. Preacher, what do you mean by that? Well, first of all, it, once you write these little details down, they have to be listening to God. To be a servant surrendered, you'd have to be listening to God. Now, we're going to do some quick math because I want to drive this point home. Chapter number 1 has 17 verses. Chapter number 2 has 10 verses. So if we add those together, we have 17 and 10. 27. It's easy. Chapter 3 is 10 verses. So if we add 27 and 10, we have 37 verses. Chapter 4 has 11 verses. So 37 plus 11 is 48. If you have 48 and I have 48, we're on good, good terms. But remember, chapter 1 and chapter 2 are wasted. Do you know that over half of this book, God is trying to get a servant to surrender? We don't even get into the, the meat of this great revival until first the servant surrenders. You've probably heard this said before, but God has a harder time getting a missionary to go to the field then he has those lost people on the field to listen and to accept that message. Preacher, why isn't there a Bible-preaching church in every city across Canada? Why isn't there a Bible-believing church in every city across the states? Why isn't there a Bible-believing church in every capital city of every country of this world? Because somewhere there are servants that are not surrendered. They're not listening to what God wants them to do. So when I say it, first of all, takes a servant surrendered, they have to first of all be listening to God. I give you a second thing. Not only do they have to be listening to God, but they have to lay aside their own will. They have to lay aside their own will. Look again, chapter 1, verse 2. This is God's will for Jonah. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah, now I know the rest of it. You know what? He had a different will. <laughs> Lord, I do not want to do that. God, I'm not interested in going to those people. I'm not interested in going that direction uh, I'm not interested in doing it that way. God's way is preaching. God's way is proclaiming. Now, if it's one-on-one, -on -one, we might call it witnessing. But if it's on a national level, it's preaching. Uh, maybe, maybe Jonah had convinced himself that there's other ways to do it. Yeah, but God's way was going there to preach it. And so I, I'm saying to you that of the 48 verses, we have already used up... 28, 29 verses just to get the servant to surrender. Nothing has even happened yet until the servant has surrendered. Maybe God has a great plan for you, for me, for this church. And he's just waiting 
for the servant to surrender. Jonah was called in chapter 1. He ignored the call. And I wonder how many others are ignoring the call. I got saved when I was 11. I didn't surrender completely to God till I was 16, I thought. God began to deal with my heart about surrendering to preach. <laughs> I said, Lord, I'm not interested in that. that that's Jonah's problem. He wasn't a servant surrendered. I can remember it was in October of 1978. My, my home church is Niagara Falls. So we went to a pastor's conference. I wasn't a pastor, but my pastor invited, why don't you come along? We went to a pastor's conference in October of 1978 in Chatham, Ontario. And uh, the man that was uh, moderating that, the, his name was Harry Strachan, he was a pastor in Simcoe, Ontario. Uh, the man that was preaching that, I, I should have written his name down, his name was Johnny Francis. His name was Johnny Francis. And he was preaching on that Tuesday night, last night. It was Monday night, all day Tuesday. And, and I, was, I was in an auditorium like this, hard pews, and that man preached on, why don't you let go of your will and do God's will? I felt like he was preaching right at me. And I did what we often read in old revivals. I, I held the front of that wooden pew so tightly that my knuckles got white. I did not want to do what I knew God wanted me to do. Maybe someone's like that struggling. You got your whole will and your whole life all planned out. But it's not what God wants. And I remember Pastor Strachan who carried the invitation and he said, I just believe that somebody here has to throw up the white flag and surrender. Give up your plan for God's plan. And I looked down at my knuckles and thought, he's preaching to me. I am not going to give up. And I didn't. I made it out of that service. But God kept beating me over the head. And before I got home, I pulled that vehicle over to the side. My mom and I went. I pulled that vehicle over to the side and I made an altar out of the steering wheel. And I said, God, I give up. It was a great day. Now, that's October 1978, so that means I wasn't quite 18. I was still 17. In those 17 years, yes, I got saved. In those 17 years, yes, I taught a Sunday school class. In those 17 years, yes, I had led some folks to Christ. So it's not quite fair that nothing was accomplished and, and, and none of God's will was done. But I was still holding on to my will instead of God's will. Say, preacher, why isn't there more revival? Because it starts with a servant surrendered. Can I give you a second thing that we see? Say, Pastor, there's four and you got ten minutes. This will be a miracle. Jonah chapter 3 and verse 4. And Jonah began to enter into the city, uh, the city a day's journey. And he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So we are glad that Jonah is finally in the right place. That's the first thing. But you know you can be in the right place and still not be doing what God wants you to do. You can still be in the right place. He was in Nineveh. God, what more do you want? Well, God said, I sent you here to preach against these people and preach to these people. 
And so thank God in verse number four, and Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, it says he cried. I, I don't think that's tear crying. I think that's raising his voice as loud as he could. He is bellowing out the gospel. Remember, he is one day's journey into a three-day journey city. And he just stops right there where he's at, and he just starts preaching. Could I say the second thing that's needed before revival is a passionate proclamation? A passionate proclamation. He's not in some corner down a side street mumbling so quietly that even the flies around can't hear him. He is crying out, proclaiming what God told him to proclaim, and he's doing it passionately. I think that too many Christians are hoping that God will do a supernatural work without we Christians doing our part. Pastor, we try to get the gospel into the streets of the city. We try, you know we try, and is your heart in it? Is it passionate? Do you pray, do I pray before we go out, God, you've got to do something in the hearts of these people. Is there a passion in it? If, if, if you're knocking, these are so simple. If, if you're knocking on the door, can anyone hear that knock? <laughs> I have gone knocking, door knocking with some. Even I couldn't hear it. How are they going to hear it? Listen, put something into it. When they come to the, hi, how are you? Is the pastor going to scare them? At least they can hear you. Is there some passion in it? I know that we have scripture signs. We have little ones and big ones. Now, this is for free. Take it for what it's worth. If you're on the highway, I don't know that a little sign's going to cut it. Is that fair? You might need something bigger. If you're on an intersection where people are coming to a stop or coming to a light, you can get away with something like that. I, I, I hesitate to say this because, Pastor, you're always mean. Okay, so here's another example. I'll write her down. If people can't read your sign because you're 100 feet away, I would question whether yours is a passionate proclamation that you are convinced they have got to see this, they have got to read this, they have got to hear this. Is your heart in it? As much as heart needs to be in preaching and heart needs to be in Sunday school teaching, your heart needs to be in whatever ministry that God has given you to do. I, I think here, look again, verse number four. And Jonah entered, uh, sorry, and Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's pretty clear. <laughs> no one's scratching their head and said, what did he mean by that? <laughs> it's pretty clear. Is it clear? Is it clear? Is it clear? Is it clear when you are doing what God is calling you to do? Nobody was scratching their heads and wondering what he said. He preached with a wide brush. Look, look there in verse 5. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed to fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. So as Jonah was preaching, he was applying it to the greatest. We're going to call that the king. 
He was applying that to the least. And so his preaching was audible. His preaching was clear. His preaching was with a broad brush, if you would. Um, it, it certainly wasn't soft-soaping sin. Look there in verse 8. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way. So Jonah was calling sin, sin. I never saw this before today, and shame on me, I should have. But look there in verse 4. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried. So in verse 4, who is speaking? Jonah. It says, and he cried, Jonas. And said, yet forty days and any of us shall be overthrown. Now look at verse 5. There's a little paragraph in the beginning of verse 5, paragraph mark. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. Now look at verse 6. For the word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his thrones. Now the focus is on the king. And he laid his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. For, sorry, and he caused it to be proclaimed. Now who's doing the talking. The king. We've shifted to the king. Pastor, you're sure. Uh, there's always somebody that challenges, so let's keep reading to see if we're right. It says, uh, and he caused it to be proclaimed and published in Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And cry mightily unto God, yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? It's not Jonah that's saying, verse 7, 8, 9. It's the king. Because Jonah's not perishing. But the king says, we. what am I saying? I'm saying that uh, Jonah was so clear and, and he wasn't hiding in a corner, and he was passionate about what he was doing. He was, he was preaching with a wide brush, meaning it, it, it was going to help everybody that would accept it. And it was so convincing that the king started preaching it too. Wouldn't that be a great thing? Wouldn't that be a great thing if we knocked on someone's door and, and they listened? That in itself would be a great thing. And before we left, they said, could I, could I have a wad of those things? Why? Uh, you call it a track. Could I have some? Wouldn't that be a great thing? Uh, I'm saying to you, before revival, we've already seen, first of all, before revival, it's going to take a servant surrendered. And the second thing, before revival, it's going to take a passionate proclamation. I give you a third thing. Look there in Jonah 3 and verse 8. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God, yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Do you know the third thing is there must be some crimes confessed. Some crimes confessed. And this will apply a whole lot closer to us. 
Do you and I see our sin as God sees our sin? It's not, well, it's just bad choice. No, sin. That's why in verse number 8, this king, as he's relaying this message, he says, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Do you see sin as God sees it? Um, keep your hand there. I, I am trying to hurry. I know you have that hard time believing that. Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles chapter 7. Do you know before there can be any revival, you and I have to be honest with ourselves and with God that what we're doing is sin, if we're doing sin, that it's sin. I've heard a lot of revival preaching. I've heard a lot of pastors that say we just have to preach more in revival. And if you said, well, what exactly are you preaching to bring revival? They are only preaching the first half of 2 Chronicles 7.14. Have a look at it. I know many of you could quote it. 2 Chronicles 7.14, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Stop right there. There's a lot of preaching today that says we just need to pray more for revival. We just need to seek more for revival. Yes, pray for it. Yes, seek it. But there is an ingredient that must be added to it or there'll never be revival. Let's look at the rest of verse 14. Second Chronicles 7:14, "If my people which are called by name, my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways." Folks, that's the missing ingredient, I'm afraid, in some preaching. Do you understand? Is there possibly anything that you're doing in your life that I'm doing in my life that's wicked before God? Uh, Brother Green, when, when he used the word wicked, he even said it wickedly. Wicked! Is there anything that you could be doing that's wicked? Say, oh, Pastor, I... No, it, that's key. I say the third thing is there has to be crimes confessed. And until we acknowledge that... Maybe it's something we're doing. Maybe it's something we're saying. I'll give you the last thing. Jonah chapter 3 and verse 8. So before revival, it's going to take a servant surrendered. Before revival, it's going to take a passionate proclamation. Before a revival, it's going to require crimes confessed. But finally, Jonah chapter 3 and verse 8. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And cry mightily unto God, yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. I want you to notice in verse number 8, uh, almost near the end of the verse, it, it, middle of the verse, is turn. There has to be a turning. Now, if you're taking notes, the last thing is a change charted. A change charted. You know, it requires a turning. We quote 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Praise the Lord. God, God can forgive all sin. God doesn't have a short list of sins. It can't. God can forgive all sin. 
So if you go to 1 John 1, 9 about uh, confessing your sins, well, that certainly would line up with crimes confessed. But if you go to Proverbs 28, 13, he that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh. It's not just confessing. Sometimes we make fun of other religions that have a confessional. And you can go into this little confessional and shut the door and tell your sins and they will make you pay a certain amount or repeat so many times. And, and if you will do that, your sins will be absolved and then you can go on and do it again and do it again and do it again. And, and that might be what they do, but that might also be what old-fashioned Bible-believing Baptists do. You know what it's going to take for revival? Not only crimes confessed, but it's going to have to have a change charted. <laughs> There's going to have to be a turning. In verse 8, again, in the middle of the verse, it says, let them turn everyone from his evil way. And then look at verse 10. And God saw their works that they turned from their evil way. In other words, the things that you used to do, you don't do them anymore. Didn't we used to sing that at camp? We sing that at team conference. The things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. The things I used to say, I don't say them anymore. It's, it's, you have to stop doing the things that prevented God from blessing. Again, I say the fourth thing is a change charted. I wonder, say, preacher, I sure wish God would give me revival. Pastor, I sure wish God would give our church revival. Preacher, I, I sure wish God would give our nation revival. Praise God for that want to. But it's going to take more than a want to. It's going to, it's going to take crimes confessed. It's going to take you getting alone. Aren't you glad you don't, have to, you don't have to reveal those things to someone else, just you and God? But you don't have to say, God... I've been messing around with this. I've been partaking in that. You have to say, Lord, that's, that's sin. That's wickedness. It's evil. And God, I'm not only confessing it, but I'm stopping it. I'm changing. You say, oh, Pastor, I would like to stop. There'll never be a revival until there's a turning. Something just got louder, brother. I don't know what got louder. Um, many years ago, in one of the coal mines in northern England, the top of that pit fell. A number of miners were down below. The shaft was completely blocked. Those who were in the mine, they found a spot down in there to gather. And they consoled themselves that somebody would find them. So they weren't overly worried. They sat there, they sang songs, they rested assured that help was on its way until the last of the air was used. And they figured that out because the flame of their candles flickered and then went out. And some of the crowd said, listen, just relax, we're safe. Help is on its way. But after a short time, when they were in total darkness, one of the miners said, we cannot stay here, we must do something, or we'll surely perish like this. 
And in that crowd was a senior miner who remembered that their mine was connected to another mine that he had worked many years ago by a long passageway. And that old miner said that they could get to safety if they crawled all the way lying flat on the ground. And believe it or not, there were some miners that said, I'm not going to do that. And that's foolish. I mean, you're about to expire. And you're too proud to crawl on your belly. And the other ones said, I'm not too proud. And you know, some of them got down there on their stomachs and they found, they felt around and found this one spot. And they crawled to safety. He said, Pastor, I don't, I don't want to just go through the routine of Christianity. I don't want to just have a ritual. Pastor, I want God to give me a revival. It's going to require a servant surrendered. It's going to require a passionate proclamation. It's going to demand that there's crimes confessed. And it's going to require a change, a change. It's charted. It, 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 it's going to have to be obvious. Different steps have to be made. It's going to be humbling. You know, it talks about twice there. It talks about sackcloth. Once it talks about sackcloth and ashes. Sackcloth they would put in, uh, put on, and it was just a statement of absolute grief. They're mortified with. And to sprinkle ashes or to sit on ashes, ashes are always a statement of something that's burned, something that's destroyed. For these people to go that far, they were absolutely broken about what they were doing before a holy God. And because they were willing to do that, look at the last verse, verse 10, and I'm done. Jonah 3 and verse 10. And God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God repented of the evil that he said that he would do unto them and did it not. God was so impressed with how low they got that it says God repented. God said, you know what? I didn't think they'd get that low from the king all the way down to the least. God said, because they were willing to go that low, I'm going to change my mind. You see, preacher, is there hope for me? Is there hope for us? Is there hope for this nation? Is there hope? How low are you willing to go? to get God to do what you cannot do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jonah 3. Lord, we're reminded that really Jonah 1 and Jonah 2 were wasted verses. 27 verses, just filler, empty filler, until you finally got Jonah's attention, and he said, yes, God. Lord, we read about the fact that he began to preach passionately. And Lord, whatever our ministry is for you, whatever you've put in our hands, would you please help it to be 
passionate that we do it, with passion. Lord, where you convict our hearts, may we confess it. Not soft soap it, not, not excuse it, confess it. Then, Lord, would you help there to be such an obvious change in us that people can see it, that God can see it. Help us to understand what's necessary before revival. We ask it in Jesus' name.